We're all missing travel right now, but you know what else we're missing? Getting more. With Priceline, you can save up to 60% on your favorite hotels, and you can also get exclusive deals on car rentals and flights. And when you save more, you can do more. More wow, mmm, and yes! Priceline knows that every trip is a big deal. So when you're ready to book your next one, visit Priceline.com for the easiest way to get more out of it. And don't forget to download the Priceline app for even more savings. What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 55 of the That's So Mets podcast. I'm your host, Connor Rogers. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Joe DeMeo. A little bit of a somber week here. The Mets are absolutely struggling right now. They're, you know, obviously series against the West Coast team, starting at home against the Dodgers, and now in San Francisco has is, is not gone well. So the Jets, the, the Jets, they are playing like the Jets right now. The Mets right now are sinking a little bit, and obviously people are panicking. I think a lot of people have lost some faith, and I think that today we're going to be the Mets Fan Therapy Podcast. It's going to be a big mailbag show, and we have a lot of great questions in here on the future of the team, on the now of the team, and of course, if there's anything they can do to kind of get this thing going. I think it would be ridiculous to sit here and tell you the season's over or it's time to bail, ship, or anything like that. But there are obviously pressing issues that need to be answered. So, Joe, uh, it's tough to ask you this right now, how you're doing with how bad this baseball team is. But what's going on? Uh, Not much. I mean, just following along. It's nice. The West Coast is like the perfect time for me to sleep and not watch full games. So I last night I made it to the third inning. I had a goal of the fourth. Uh, So I made it to the third and. It's it's so rela- it's relaxing to relaxing to wake up and look at a box score and not feel like I dealt with the whole game of it. But yeah, obviously, right now things are are certainly not going well, and they uh, they're you know times times running out, and they still have a lot of games left with some really good teams before they hit a stretch of what should be winnable games. So they they. They have to find a way here that they're going to sneak out some victories. They can't get swept by the Dodgers, get swept by the Giants, and get swept by the Dodgers again. <laughs> they need to, they need to sneak out some victories here and then get ready for a stretch of schedule of 15 straight against uh, Washington and Miami where they've had their struggles against those teams. But if you want to call yourself a playoff team, you have to win those games. You're absolutely right. And, and that's why I said it, it's ridiculous to just bail now, but is it right to be mad skeptical of anything you know turning around no i think it's totally fair and that's what we're going to go through today is that there are problems that need to be addressed with this franchise right it's not a weekly thing there are also things that that are more short term that are injury related not a lot of good news on jacob Degrom recently you know kind of sitting here crossing our fingers hoping everything goes back goes right with a noah Syndergaard return counting down the days till Francisco and Lindor and Javi Baez are playing together. So I think overall, there's a big picture. There's the, the small picture. And the bottom line is right now, the Mets need to, you know, at least tread water here. And they haven't done it yet. As Joe and I sit here and record this, as we always do, a late Tuesday afternoon, the Mets 
were they competitive against the Dodgers? Two out of the three games, absolutely. They lost in extra innings uh, to a team that coming into that series, I believe, was one in 12 in extra inning games. And they lost the two extra inning games they played against the Dodgers. So you look at those, should have been able to win at least one, probably both, before getting blown out on Sunday Night Baseball. Then you go to San Francisco, it's a tough trip. And, and Noah Syndergaard was vocal about this, I believe on his Instagram, how ridiculous the scheduling is. The, the Mets play a home game on Sunday Night Baseball and then take the red eye, uh, miserable flight out west. I've done the red eye to the west, the west coast at least once or twice, and I can't imagine how, you know, people would regroup and, and play a baseball game after that. But there's no excuses left on the table, and the Mets lose the first game there. So, you know, they're not getting innings out of a lot of the starters, especially Rich Hill, who's just become the, you know, if you get four innings out of him, it's a win, and, and that's just not good enough, quite frankly. It's not. I don't care that he's 41. This was the move you made to go out and. You know, I think I'm at the point, Joe, where I would rather see a Trevor Williams get those starts and maybe Hill comes out of the bullpen. But before we dive into all that, I don't want to forget episode 55, a real barn burner of numbers to go through here. One solid Chris Young, who is obviously was almost the Mets GM, it sounded like at one point, uh, but did take the GM job with the Texas Rangers. One random Kelly Johnson had some really nice moments as a acquisition in the 2015 season and the most random Ty Kelly who every now and then I see has some really good tweets a lot better than his plate appearances for the Mets uh, for Ty Kelly so Joe what are your thoughts on the the epic number 55s we have for today's show don't forget the Mets trade for Kelly Johnson in 2016 as well so they traded him for him two times with the same team so Atlanta had him in 2015 traded him to the Mets he signed with Atlanta in the offseason, and Atlanta traded him to the Mets again in 2016. So the Mets And he was good. Yeah, he was a perfectly fine bench player. The Mets simply could not quit Kelly Johnson for a couple of years there. And Chris Young, pretty close, like you said, to being the Mets GM, and now uh, was part of the front office that got to draft Jack Leiter, and you know, hopefully a team that's heading on the rise. Chris Young, super smart guy, and Ty Kelly is one of the most fun people on Twitter, for sure. Um yeah, that's that's cool. He's fun on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, that's what you have to say about that. I think um, I'm looking forward to the days and, and it's it's hilarious. We actually get to use Ty Kelly again next week. Spoiler alert for number uh, for episode 56 of the show, because there was a time where he wore 56. It, these are the numbers that more often than not just get handed to uh, coaches or players that are not expected to make an impact for very long <laughs> with the team. So I'm looking forward to the days of some big time numbers. And when we get over number 100, we'll circle back and do all the numbers we missed uh, in the single digits and and obviously the teens and I believe even the 20s. We started this trend a little late, but circling back to the New York Mets right now as we sit here and record, I believe they are now three and a half games back out of first place, which it feels like 10 and a half. Honestly, I, it's it really does. It feels it's hard to believe that in a one week span of time, the Mets could be back in first place. It's the Braves are winning every night and they're, you know, obviously have taken advantage of their schedule at times. The Phillies have come back to earth, which was to be expected. And I think the Braves will, too. You have to wonder, you know, how Dansby Swanson is having a phenomenal season. Obviously, Albies is having a really good year and kind of picking up some of the slack left by Acuna. But at the end of the day, I just I don't. And maybe this is the optimistic side of me, and maybe people are probably sick of me playing this card, and I understand it because they're they're understandably frustrated with the Mets team. I don't think, Joe, that this division is going to be completely run away by anybody. Like, I don't think we're going to be looking at the calendar on September 
you know what, September 15th, and we're like, wow, it's over. I I think this thing will really come down to the final two weeks of the season. Like you said at the top of the show, there is a lot of baseball left to be played. But at the same time, the Mets can't be going on, you know, five games, six game losing streaks here and there, especially against teams that are some of the best in the National League. Yeah, I don't expect anyone to pull away. Like you said, I didn't think the Mets were ever going to pull away the way that they were playing. And, you know, certainly now that they fell out, I don't now think all of a sudden that Atlanta and Philly are these super teams that are just going to run away with the division. It's just like you said, the Mets are right now playing bad baseball. There's really not another way to put it. Like, I can't even make excuses for him. Um, I've run out of the, you know, it'll take time for this offense to gel. And yada. the reality is the Mets are just not going to hit this year with any level of consistency. They're going to have their nights where they put up runs. But this offense, for whatever reason, 2021, it's not clicking. Um, Alonzo is base and Brandon Nemo are basically the only guys that are performing to expectations. And you had Lindor get injured and Javi Baez, like they gave up Pete Crow Armstrong and he played a couple games, struck out a million times, hit a couple homers and then got hurt. Uh, so hopefully he's coming back soon. Conforto is starting to turn around a bit, but there's no way for him to really redeem his season as a whole. Uh, Dom Smith, though all that Dom Smith has done this year is not get hurt. <laughs> he's been healthy, but he hasn't, he hasn't produced like the Dom Smith we expect. And no Je- power, no power. And and Jeff McNeil, a guy that, you know, in spring training, we were talking, do we want the 300 hitter Jeff McNeil where he doesn't his May home runs? Or do we want like a 275 hitting Jeff McNeil with more home runs? Well, we got the 275 hitting Jeff McNeil with no home runs. So, <laughs> <Great>. uh, so, <laughs> and James McCann offensively, just not there. I mean, he's been great behind the dish. He's got the arm. Love everything he's bringing on that side of the ball, but he hasn't hit. So the I just think the offense is not going to be there this year. And I without Jacob Degrom, which I, if you think Jacob Degrom's coming back to pitch this year, um, I don't know what to tell you. I I have zero expectation that's going to occur. And without him, I don't know if the pitching could carry this offense in a postseason stretch. But with that said. I want to make it. <laughs> I don't. I don't want the Mets to, you know, completely fall apart here in in the last six weeks of the season. But yeah, it's it's just a really really tough spot that they're in right now. Before we get into the mailbag, because like I said, it's a pretty long one today. We we tried to get in every single question that Joe was sent on Twitter that is not overlapping with what we're discussing in our in our opener here. Looking at Degrom. Right. Because I think for a lot of the fan base, it's the, you know, oh, can we get him back for the end of September? Can we get him back if, you know, they sneak into the playoffs? And I think I've moved on to the point, unfortunately, where not when is DeGrom going to be back this year and any of that would be gravy. But how do you plan for the future with or without Jacob DeGrom? And what I mean by that is when at least looking at it from a front office perspective, right? When you build a baseball team that is expecting to not just, you know, compete in the division, but compete for a World Series, compete for a pennant, you are constructing the rotation a certain way. Like coming into this year, I think the Mets 
at one point had dreams of a frontline rotation with Aces and DeGrom and Bauer. Bauer chose the Dodgers, and we all know how that's gone, so we don't need to spend any more time on that. But they constructed a rotation where DeGrom was their clear-cut ace. You feel really, really good about Stroman and Carrasco about you as interchangeable two and three, right? However way you wanted to cut it. And this is all before the season. So take everything that's happened with injuries or underperforming or overperforming out of your mind. And then you're looking, you know, obviously David Peterson was expected to have a, a bigger year and it hadn't, didn't work out. And Taiwan Walker was expected to be kind of that fringe four, really a number five fringe four and pitched as an all-star in the first half and had a really big bounce back start. So Taiwan's been somebody that's overachieved. I think Stroman's overachieved a little bit while injuries have cost guys like Carrasco and Peterson and Tyler McGill has overachieved. Joe, how do you take all of that information, right? And it's even more difficult knowing Stroman and Syndergaard are pending free agents. And that's a different topic in my eyes. How do you take DeGrom's pending and ongoing health situation and apply that to what you do this offseason. Well, if I'm not going to have Jacob DeGrom in 2022, we're in some deep crap here. Um, He's irreplaceable, and there's really not someone on the market. Max Scherzer's not coming here. I don't think it matters what you offer. He wasn't willing to waive his no trade to come to New York, so he's a West Coast guy. I think he's going to be a Dodger or an Angel. There's not really another frontline starter that's available, so... The Mets need DeGrom to come back. But if for some reason he has something that impacts 2022, which who knows if it is or isn't, it, they're making it seem like his MRIs are coming back okay and there's nothing structural. But if you have questions about 2022, you need both Stroman and Cindergard back and you need to add more to that. And you're going to have to go rotation by numbers and just have a lot of guys, even if you're lacking that quote-unquote ace if you could get, you know, some twos and threes and and just be built around a bunch of two to fours, then, you know, it, it's okay if the offense actually turns itself around, which that's a whole different discussion. <laughs> like, are you going to keep this offense intact? Because the only players that are not under control after this year are Michael Conforto and Javier Baez. And you have to imagine there's a chance at least one of them returns. So, there's going to be some change this offseason with the Mets, and uh, the hope is that DeGrom just relaxes for a few months and it's not an issue come 2022. Because if it is, I'm not sure exactly what they do with the rotation because he's irreplaceable. I think that's a great way to describe him, irreplaceable. But I, I like your point about you know filling the rotation with a lot of guys in that two to four spot and and expecting the offense to bounce back and using the changes they're going to implement with the offense. All right, let's move forward with the mailbag to get more back on the uh, the immediate. So this one from AMG left us a really nice review on Apple Pods. Thank you so much, everyone that does that. As always, we fulfill our promise that if you leave a question with a five-star review on Apple Pods, it will be bumped to the top of the rundown as soon as we see it. So from AMG. If the Mets miss the playoffs, should Sandy Alderson be fired or forced into retirement? I think looking at the latter half of this question, I don't I think even before, you know, before this season began, I don't think Sandy was trying to be overly involved in the baseball operations side of this franchise. 
they just weren't able to make the hire they were hoping and it, it all just kind of fell a different way. So it's it's tough. I think Sandy uh, should not be running this team from a baseball operations standpoint. I understood bringing him in for the transition. I had no problem with that. I don't really even think it's a Mets miss the playoffs thing, although now looking like they absolutely could, that is going to bolster the argument for it. I think no matter what happens, even if the Mets made the playoffs, there needs to be a different head of baseball operations in my eyes. For sure. I don't think they'll fire Sandy. I think that would that's kind of a it would be a disrespectful move. And um, I don't think he intended to do this more than two years anyway. You know, be involved. I don't think he intended to be the top of baseball operations even come midseason this year. I think the vision they had initially was they were going to get a mega star front office person. And that didn't pan out because varying reasons. They couldn't get who they wanted to get. They end up with Jared Porter and Zach Scott. And the vision then became, okay, we're going to groom Jared Porter and Zach Scott to be the quote two-headed monster. You know, Jared Porter, the future president of baseball operations, and Zach Scott, the future general manager, and Sandy would just be in the room, not be at the head of the table uh, per se. And I think he ultimately had to take on a bigger role when the Jared Porter stuff came out and they had to let him go. So Sandy had to take a step up. With that said, I think make the playoffs or not, Sandy Alderson needs to move to the side. If Sandy Alderson wants to be an advisor to the Mets for the next 10 years, he can do that. Like, I think having his voice has value. I mean, this sure has the game, you know, maybe passed him a little bit. Is it, you know, getting a little newer age than he's able? Maybe. But Sandy Allison's a borderline Hall of Fame executive. There's, you know, I'm not, I don't need him to be gone from the organization. He just needs to not be making the baseball decisions. He could be a part of the discussion. He could be sitting at the table. Um, but yeah, he can't be making decisions and they need to figure out who is going to be, be making those decisions. Um, I don't expect Zach Scott to be gone. In fact, I expect Zach Scott to get the word acting removed from his title and be general manager. Um, that's not to say that they don't hire someone to become the president of baseball operations above him, like was their original vision with Jared Porter and just replace Jared Porter with a different name. Maybe some of those bigger names become available this offseason. Um, obviously, Theo Epstein's going to be the one that everyone always talks about. Um, I'm not even all that excited about a Theo Epstein move, to be totally Neither honest. I. Uh, I, I, you have to look at how he kind of left the Cubs. The Cubs kind of not in a great spot. I mean, they had their core players, obviously, and they won a World Series, so... You can't go too crazy, but they broke up the core. They don't have a great farm system. They don't have many other great players around it. So Theo's not even like overly exciting to me, but he certainly would, you know, spark up the fan base. So that they have to figure out who's going to be the head of baseball operations, and it can't be Sandy Alderson after this year. Joe, don't you think at some point, like guys just don't have the fire that they used to have? Yeah. And I, I guess that's. Because some people will probably counter that and be like, well, what about Bill Belichick? He's the biggest outlier of all time. I just think that 
Theo Epstein, the name is exciting. And yes, what he has done with storied franchises, there's no doubt he's one of the greatest to ever handle, you know, the construction of baseball rosters. But at this point, I, I don't know. I don't I'm not saying I doubt it, but I would be skeptical because that we had a question in here is from Dylan. And he said, if the Mets fail to make the playoffs, do you think Cohen makes a serious push for Theo for president of baseball ops? And if you were Zach Scott, what would be your approach heading into the offseason? So we could save the second half of that for later. I, I don't know if he's the, you know, because everybody will say, oh, well, Cohen could just write a blank check. Right. And he probably can. I don't know if that it seemed like during the interview process, they were interviewing younger guys that were hungrier to have this chance at it. And I just I don't know if going back to the seasoned vet is the answer right now. I don't know what Theo Epstein and maybe it's it's foolish of me to question that, because like I said, he's one of the greatest to ever do it. I Like the Mets to me don't. And people will laugh at this after the rocker situation. But the Mets to me don't have a drafting problem. Look at the last 10 years, what this regime has done drafting. The Mets, to me, now with money, I don't think will have a free agency problem. They just have interesting decisions to make, and I don't don't know if there's one magic person that oversees it all and gets it done. So for me, it's just I'm trying to find my own Theo. I'm not trying to recreate you know, what Theo did previously, and we don't even know if Theo wants to do this. I mean, let's not forget this time last, or not even this time, but it, last year, Theo stepped aside. Supposedly, everything I had heard was he just didn't want to do baseball operations anymore. He wanted to be a part of an ownership it's group. exhausting, dude. Or, or if he wanted to do, potentially be, maybe not necessarily the future commissioner, but a part of MLB and grow the game. Uh, so I don't know if, one, Theo even wants it, and two, if if he does, is is he the right fit? I'm not sure if he is or isn't. It kind of depends, I guess, who's out there. And a lot of these questions are being prefaced, if the Mets fail to make the playoffs, will this? If the Mets fail to make... The Mets are making changes if they win the World Series. (laughs) If the Mets win the World Series, Sandy Allison probably still won't be running baseball operations. Some, you know, Zach Scott might, but someone else is going to. So making the playoffs, not making the playoffs, I really don't think have a significant... You know, it doesn't have a significant impact on what the Mets are intending to do this offseason. I think Steve Cohen came in, he bought a new business, he brought in, you know, some pieces for it to get through that first year. The first year is an evaluation. So now he has an evaluation of everybody in the organization, top to bottom. And, you know, like you said, we credit the scouting staff. Everybody should you know, be under evaluation after this year and see who should be a part of this thing going forward because the Mets are moving in a new direction. Where that direction is, kind of your guess is as good as mine, but you're going to see change regardless of what happens uh, the remainder, you know, the next six weeks of the season. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that's no secret. I think they're always going to try to stay ahead and right now they're they are way behind there's no secret there's no doubt about that so that's something we'll cover a lot in depth we'll be on top of who they're interviewing how that process goes and and right now you have to assume that zach scott is going to be the guy making the immediate decisions and maybe the long-term decisions so 
Speaking of those uh, decisions, the next question from Ryan Mendez, another one on Apple Pods. Thanks a lot for the review, Ryan. He said, when the Mets traded for Javi Baez, it was viewed purely as a rental piece. Is there any possibility the Mets bring him back on a multi-year deal, especially with Conforto's future up in the air? You know, these aren't like typically looked. I would love to sit here and say like, oh, Baez comes off the IL and it has a huge September that might factor into it. I I think at the end of the day, there's a lot of flexible decisions here that will play into Baez, right? If there's an external market for him that is just ridiculous, I don't think the Mets are going to go. I I almost feel confident in saying the Mets will not go like the Lindor route of just, hey, we'll get to whatever number we need to get to to keep him here. I I don't see the Mets doing that for him, no matter the power, the gold glove, the style of play. Just the fact his strikeout woes and, and, you know, obviously some injuries. I, I don't think they'll do that now. Say they find an answer for right field on the trade market that they just entirely move on from Conforto. Say they find a way to bring back Stroman and Syndergaard at a better rate than they expected. And maybe to go find that right fielder or a piece for the rotation, a guy like Jeff McNeil is traded then yeah, Javi Baez is probably in your plans for the future. It, it's it, You're changing out pieces and you're swapping around the money and the impact, right? So if, the, if there's a team out there that really likes Jeff McNeil and the Mets are kind of like, you know what? He hasn't really developed into the guy we thought he would be. We're willing to move on from him. And in return, we're going to get, you know, a guy we think can be a number four starter or a guy that can play right field for us almost every day then we're going to use a lot of our free agency money to keep Javi Baez here. And we know we have Francisco Lindor, Javi Baez up the middle of our infield with Pete Alonso at first base, or if there's a DH, obviously Dom Smith at first base. So I think it's hard to sit here and tell you that they traded for him one way or the other as a rental or as this long-term piece. But is there you know, is there a chance that he's part of their plans? Absolutely. I I would think it's more 60-40 that they are going to make an effort to keep him here than the other way around. So I have a question for you here. Obviously, we don't know the answer to it, so um, really hypothetical. Do you think the fact that they gave up Pete, Pete Crow Armstrong has, do you think that has any impact on their decision for Javi? I think it tells me they really liked the player. That's what how I look at it, right? And what I mean by that is, you know, yeah, yes, he could have given them a jolt, and it hasn't worked out so far. Injuries happen, and there's a lot of baseball left. I think that the fact they were willing to go that price tells me they really like the player. There is something they see that we don't, right? Because we know he's a gold glove player. He is only willing to play second base here because of his relationship with Lindor. He does bring something to the Mets everyday lineup that besides VR, who's really almost too reckless, they don't really have. They don't have that that kind of guy with speed on the bases and uh, plays with an edge and plays with attitude. And that's not a knock on anyone on the Mets. I think a lot of them play hard. It's just in their own way. And, and obviously the power. I think they see something, Joe, that they really liked the guy. But I also have been a fan of baseball long enough, and after doing this show with you last offseason, to know 
all it takes is one team out there on the market to do something crazy or stupid or whatever it may be that changes your plans real quick. For sure. For sure. And for me, I, I've said it and I will say it till I'm blue in the face. I'll say it this offseason. I'll say it even if they re-sign him. Javi Baez ain't my type of player. I mean, yeah, I get it. For me, totally. I mean, I, I appreciate the hustle plays. I appreciate the defense and the power. Like, I recognize the positives that he brings to the table. I just can't get behind a guy that, and strikeouts are fine. That's another thing. Everyone talks about strikeouts and he strikes out more than anyone in the league. I can accept strikeouts. They got to come with some walks. I mean, Connor, like you and I almost have as many walks as Javi Baez is this year. Like he draws zero walks. He's swinging at everything. Um, he's not really like a good situational player, but he's that power defense speed. So if you prefer those outcomes, then he's probably a guy for you. Uh, to me, I think he he adds some spark and yeah, he's friends with Lindor. That's awesome. But I'm not making moves based on who's Lin, who Lindor is friends with. Um, it just really depends what the money comes down to. I think they're very interested. Like you said, if they're willing to give up Pete Carr Armstrong for him, they have to like him more than I do. And it would not shock me in the slightest if he ends up with a multi-year deal staying here and uh, cross my fingers and hope it works out. I, I think, yeah, no, I mean, you're absolutely right. I think there's there's both sides to the argument. I wonder if the Mets get really creative with contracts, knowing how we've discussed their strategy with the luxury tax for next year. Oh, like, they're, blo- they, they're, they're blowing through the luxury tax. They're going to the blow year. through it. Yeah. But do they, knowing that they might have a little bit of an advantage with Javi because of the Lindor situation. I'm not calling it a big one, but maybe a little one. Do they try to get him on a, a three-year deal that is just loaded up, right? Like almost like yeah. the how the Bauer deal was structured where it's like, wow, this is only a, you know, what, a two-year deal with an option, but it is juiced up in the annual average. Do they go that strategy with him? I, I think they're going to try to get creative in ways like that when they have that kind of money from the owner that's something I can live with. If you're looking for like a six year deal right, or exactly. a seven year deal, that no shot. That's just yeah. not happening. And, you know, it just depends how you want to build your infield. I think the the frustrating thing that it comes down to right now, Joe, because I, I totally am open to um, hearing out your argument of Baez's shortcomings. And I, I am not blind to them. They are very obvious. I just think Jeff McNeil having the kind of season he's had has created possibly a gigantic issue for the Mets because coming into this year, and I'm not going to get into the Robinson Cano, will he be anything next year or not? That's for another day. No, thank you. I just look at it with McNeil and go, man, coming off three seasons, batting well over 300 and starting to show a little pop and was a pretty good glove at second base what the hell's happened? And I know he's hurt. And, and I try not to get on guys when they're hurt because, I, you know, I think football fans are really tough in that regard. They don't see or hear about most of the injuries their players are going through. And it's brutal to play through that, especially in a league where, unlike baseball, there's no guaranteed money. So I feel for McNeil in that regard. But I, I am not going into next year saying that nah, we're good at second base. We have Jeff McNeil. And that sucks to say that it, it does. But I would be a fool if I said anything else. 
to to me, Jeff McNeil's one of those guys that you have to look in the face and say, is he a part of our core? He was a part of the core that we had, but is he a part of the core going forward? And to your point, if Michael Conforto, let's say the Mets want to move on from Michael Conforto completely, you could you flip Jeff McNeil to somebody for a right fielder or, like you said, a starter? I think McNeil's a prime candidate to look at and go, this guy could potentially be on the move. And they, oh, need, yeah. they need to get – there needs to be creativity. I want to see outside-the-box things. I, I don't want to see the same the same old type of offseason, bring back this mostly the same lineup because, like I said, everyone's under contractual control. And if they were to bring back Baez or Conforto or even both of them, like you could potentially be trotting out essentially the same exact team that hit like crap this year and say – Ah, 2021 was an aberration. Like, I don't want to hear that. I want I want to see something different. It doesn't mean they need to overhaul the entire roster. It doesn't mean they need to split up the entire core. But don't be afraid to make maybe some unpopular moves that will, you know, piss fans off initially, but it's it's about winning baseball games ultimately, and that's what the Mets need to move towards. I agree. I think it's there's going to be hard decisions made that detach emotion from them, right? Where, you know, feelings are going to be hurt in the clubhouse and it won't be easy. And that's why in most organizations, players don't like the guys upstairs. I, I could tell you that very it happens everywhere. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot, you know, obviously it's a, a podcast for Mets fans. And I'm sure a lot of them are Rangers fans and the Rangers just went through it with with Pavel Buchnevich. And that's, you know, it these moves are made that that upset the core of the team, but they are made with the thought of and whether you agree or not, I'm not saying what moves I agree with and what I don't. They are made with the we need to take the emotion out of this, how mad the fans will be or how mad the players will be. And we need to put out the best product and get through that. And I think we are, we need to brace ourselves for a Mets offseason that there's going to be at least one of those moments. I mean, honestly, it's and I'm not saying J.D. Davis. I'm not saying, you know, something like that. I'm saying Jeff McNeil, you know, Dom Smith, something like that, where you're going to be like, oh, wow. And, and I, I think McNeil would be the front runner right now because you look at teams that are looking because let's be real, the Mets are playing a different game than we're used to as fans of this team. They're playing in the the big ballers shopping aisle, where a lot of teams they don't they look at the numbers and then they they obviously want good players, but they also look at that little section of baseballreference.com where it says service time, arbitration eligible, free agency. Jeff McNeil's free agency year is 2025. If if you're looking to get something for him, because if he has one more season like this, and he's one more season closer to free agency, then your values your values gone. So, and, and I'll keep, you know, in line with what we're talking about with a question here from the mailbag. This is from Andy. No matter how the last game went, anytime you take the field, you've got a shot at greatness. Give your team the best shot at winning by recruiting more MVPs with Indeed. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. 
Start hiring right now with $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through March 31st. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy. And Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and condition apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight bet or parlay. That's $200 that you can use for all the upcoming basketball action, including the men's basketball tournament. If you bet at least $500 during the first and second round of the tournament, you can get a trip to the five-star rated Win Las Vegas. Offer subject to change, terms, and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where playthrough winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. This episode is brought to you by Shell V-Power Nitro Plus Premium Gasoline. Do you think all premium fuels are the same? Well, your engine doesn't. Shell V-Power Nitro Plus helps keep your engine running like new because it's engineered to defend against four main engine threats. Gunk, wear, corrosion, and friction. So next time, choose Shell's most advanced fuel ever. It's fuel for thought in engines that continuously use Shell V-Power Nitro Plus Premium Gasoline. Will Dom be a Met in 2022? I've gone on long enough. Joe, I know you're not going to give a yes or no answer because that's not fair. Uh, But what are your overall thoughts on Dom Smith's future with the team? Uh, It's certainly not guaranteed. I mean, he's a fantastic guy. I think he's a he is an integral part of that clubhouse, but guy hasn't hit this year. He hasn't hit for power. Um, he's impressed me in left field, which surprised me for sure. So he has that flexibility to be a left fielder, first baseman. Um, if I had to guess, he's probably not getting moved. But like I said, I want the Mets investigating any way to change this around and turn it into a winner. And I don't care whose feelings are hurt because I'm a fan. <laughs> like, Sorry, like, guess what? If you guys won baseball games, the core would have stayed together and won more baseball games. You can't just, you just need to take the right steps. Like you said, take the emotion out of it to a degree. There's some, there's always going to be some emotion, but take most of the emotion out of it and realize what's most important is making the 2022 and 2023 and 2024 Mets winners. And if that means Dom Smith gets traded, it means Dom Smith gets traded. That's the way it goes. Like I don't, I don't have much opposition to it. Um, it's, it's like you said, it's tough to give a yes or no. If I had to guess, it's probably more likely than not he'll stay. But like I think someone's gonna go, and it's just a matter of if it's him or McNeil or, or JD Davis or Conforto. So, something's gonna give. You're not just gonna see the same Mets team next year. No, I'm with you. I agree. I don't think it'll be Dom. I'll say that. I don't. They have a lot of problems in corner outfields for the future. You know, you could assume Nimmo's going to be here next year. We don't know about Conforto. 
Domus made a lot of strides in left field that you, he can play there. And then with the DH, you can play him at first base when Pete wants to DH. Or I know he won't want to do that, but he'll be forced to do that at times. I, I think that, you know, and to his credit, the, the Mets have had so many issues this year. At least Dom is hitting lefties, right? Like, there are guys on this team a lot that really aren't doing much of anything out there overall that have just kind of hung around for by default. You know, at least you look at Dom, and for a lineup that has struggled immensely and has struggled immensely against left-handed pitching, you know, he, he's got an 8-3-33 OPS against lefties. He's hitting 333. You know, he's not hitting home runs against lefties, but he's getting on base a lot and he's hitting a lot against lefties. So you can make that argument of why he fits in. And, and that goes back to the Javi Baez situation. This is a team that does not hit lefties and Javi Baez kills lefties. So I'm not going to sit here and like say this is definitely happening. This is not. But you can kind of see the pieces of guys that they might view as replaceable or as a piece to move versus someone that's just that's just not and you know going back to McNeil he he really hasn't hit from either side of the he hasn't hit you know either pitching but he hasn't done anything against lefties at all and it's just I don't know it's it's an issue for this team it's a clear-cut issue all right next question this is from Matt Campion was the 2020 season fool's gold? Did we trick ourselves into thinking the offense was actually a strength when it was between uh, when it has been the opposite this season? What is the missing piece or pieces? How can we actually score with runners in scoring position? I don't want to say it was fool's gold and throw everything out the window, right? Because and it's a great question from Matt, who who always always sends good stuff. It's that you know you look at it and go, okay, like we I kind of just crapped on McNeil this entire episode, and he's. You know, he was one of my favorite players on this team the last couple of years. I mean, he hit 329, 318, and 311 the three years before this. So I don't I don't think it was, oh, 2020 was just a, a blip for him. You know, with Conforto, I I have some questions of maybe did I get too high on Conforto? I, I really do. Because he's the one, like, going back to McNeil, it wasn't really an outlier. In 18 and 19, he was really, really good. I think with Dom you can kind of see the light coming on where, yes, he was phenomenal last year, but Dom was pretty good in 2019, honestly. So the one that stands out to me is Conforto because he was phenomenal in 2020 in the sprint in 54 games. He hit 322. He's never hit, he's never hit 280 before that and obviously after that. And he's he's had power, right? 2017 through 19, he, he went, you know, between 27 and 33 home runs each year. But you you saw the constant long slump. So there are certain things to take away from each guy. I don't think these guys are as bad as they've been this year at the plate, but I don't think they're as good as they were last year either. It's something in the middle. Yeah, I, I don't really think anything of 2020, to be honest. I took almost no stock in it, and i kind of said that all off season too, that like positively or negatively, like I didn't take a ton from it. It's legitimately 50, 60 games, whatever. Like to me, it didn't mean much. I look at the fact that this whole team is underperforming for their career norms. I don't care about 2020. Like, like you just started naming off guys, how their 2019s were good. Their 2018s were good. Those are the years I'm concerned about. 
just simply nobody is performing to the back of their baseball card. And I've always had the thought of, in a general sense, everybody will perform to the back of their baseball card, whether that means they have an awesome April and May and a crappy June and July and then pick it back up. There's multiple ways to get there. But typically, most players perform to the back of their card. And basically, Pete Alonzo is the only one on the Mets. And Brandon Nimmo is even maybe even exceeding a little bit. But those are the only guys. Everybody else is struggling. And what what are the missing pieces? I don't know what the missing pieces are per se, because if you look at the back of the baseball cards, they in theory have a lot of good pieces that just aren't performing. Um, so it, it's going to be a very difficult job for whoever's running this front office in the offseason to decide what was an aberration this year that we think in 2022, so-and-so is going to improve. Who who are the ones that you believe in that in? And who are the ones that you're like, 2021 was a sign of things to come. So cut bait. So it's not going to be an easy decision because um, literally nobody's performed. Yeah, that's the thing. You got to really kind of bet on yourself being right because there's no exact science of you know who's just struggling and who who this is who they might be going forward the next one from daniel the elephant in the room seems to be the qualifying offer with conforto personally to me there's no such thing as a bad one-year deal in any sport especially if it's for a very motivated player what are your thoughts on his future with the team uh, quickly, I will I will completely agree with you, Daniel. I have no problem extending the qualifying offer to Conforto if they feel they can't get creative for a right fielder on the trade market. The rest of the free agent market, I believe, is really, really poor in that regard. And honestly, my feeling is no matter how bad he's been this year, I don't think he would take it, honestly. And that means an extra pick for the Mets. So... I'm right there with them. Uh, I would give them the QO if, if you can't find what you're looking for on the trade market and, and see where it goes. It really depends where his market's going to go. I mean, the no the no brainers offering the qualifying offer because at bare minimum, he says no and you get a draft pick if the market ends up crazy. But when I'm looking at this team and I'm thinking about the core and who do I think is an aberration, who do I think is going to bounce back? Conforto is one of the guys that I want here long term. I don't I don't want to watch him leave because he's the guy that I expect to go to the San Francisco Giants, hit 275 with 32 homers and 100 RBIs and everything's great. To me, Conforto is a guy that I want here. Um, it's obviously money dependent. I think it's obvious that he's not going to be getting the money that we thought he was going to get come you know last spring when it was don't sign George Springer or, or we understand not signing George Springer because you're allocating that George Springer money to Michael Conforto in a year. He's obviously not getting that. I know uh, we talked last week, like, is he a four year, $70 million kind of player? Is he, you know, if he's something to that effect, I'll take my chances. I think Michael Conforto is a really good player. That's having a really bad year. And I trust that he'll get back to that. 270, 275, 25 to 30 home runs, quality right field defense, uh, good arm out there. 
to me, Conforto is the keeper. Like I'd I'd sooner trade a Jeff McNeil than let Michael Conforto walk. Yeah, I agree. I think that you can also build this lineup a certain way where I'm not saying you're hiding Conforto, but on the one-year deal, you feel like you can find a better way for him to fit in. And even though he he's, I don't think he's ever going to be a guy that just, you know, hits lefties. And, and that's why my argument has changed. I don't know if I would, I wouldn't, obviously what we've seen this year, give Conforto the crazy deal that his agency thinks he can get. But at the end of the day, I think you can go into next year and, and structure things a certain way where you, you know where your shortcomings are to also get the best out of him. So, and, and honestly, oh, if Con- yeah, honestly, if Conforto just goes back to being Conforto, it's not going to be you have to construct a lineup to like hide him or do something. Like Conforto's going to hit smack dab in the meat of your order. Like that's what Michael Conforto has been for his whole career, and I have the expectation that he would go back to that. Um, obviously, if he took if he took the qualifying offer, that's fantastic. Then I don't have to make the financial risk. But if he declines it. I'm still pursuing a multi-year deal with them. It's just a matter of what that number gets to. And everybody's got a price, as the million-dollar man Ted DiBiase once said. There's a, there's a, there is probably a, you should be setting a value on every player. When you go to free agency, the Mets should have some crazy spreadsheet or whatever, something way more advanced than a spreadsheet that says, you know, if we're going short term, this is the AAV that we're willing to go on a player. So that's one to three years. If we're going four to six years, the AAV is this. And if it exceeds your evaluations, then you don't sign the player. But if it falls in that, go ahead. Like, I don't think I don't think signing Michael Conforto would end up a disaster. It just depends what the contract looks like. <laughs> I mean, well, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say the Mets won't give him George Springer money. But if Michael Conforto got 90 to 100 million dollars, I don't think that contract would end up biting them in the ass. Yeah, I don't think so either. I mean, there was once upon a time, Joe, we were talking in the $200 million range, though. Exactly. It. Exactly. So that that's kind of the perspective that I have. It's like, let's not, just because he has been bad this year, and there's no way around it, he has been. I'm not making one excuse for him. But let's not forget the quality of player that Michael Conforto is. And he's in his prime. He's not 33 years old. That it, His body's falling apart. Just a really bad year. And Unfortunately, it's in a walk year, so it makes a decision hard. But at the same time, you almost wonder, can that play into the Mets' hands? Him struggling. Absolutely can. Yeah. So let's not shut the door on Michael Conforto. I know uh, he's not playing well, and everyone's kind of trying to super kick him out of town to keep the wrestling references going. And uh, I'm not there. Hmm. Yeah. I'm on the fence. Ask me in two months. I I can't. (laughs) There's too much emotions right now into this one. All right. The next one's from Johnny. He says, what do you think of the McCann contract so far? He's gotten so much hate, but I think he is far from the biggest problem. In my opinion, he was expected to provide some competency at the plate and behind it while keeping the seat warm for Alvarez in two to three years. And he has done that well enough. So, Johnny, I I am with you that McCann has absolutely become a guy to pile on. I think that Sure, the Mets overpaid because they had a glaring hole at a position that it's been a problem for them for a long time. It's defensively, it's been a nightmare for them for a very long time. And they played the market where they were nervous about not getting real Muto and then missing out on McCann and having nothing else. I liked the McCann deal. I think he's been 
over scrutinized while not being great. And I'm sure there's people listening to this saying we're being too nice to the Mets. I mean, I don't the Mets are bad right now. And at the end of the day, it's not like James McCann. OK, so James McCann wasn't signed to this team to hit like number five every night and hit 30 home runs. And he's been, I think, very good behind the plate. I think he's had some clutch moments as a pinch hitter and he hits the ball on the ground way too much. He grounds to do a lot of double plays. It's a huge problem. I think that obviously, you know, hitting 240 and getting on base at a 303 clip and the 660 OPS, like it's not good. But I do agree he is far from the biggest problem on this team at all. I think my argument with McCann is if Confort, if say two of the three, Conforto, Dom, and McNeil, if two of the three performed up to expectations, not over expectations, up to expectations, I don't think people would constantly pile on McCann because they are you're constantly looking for him because he was the one of the big free agent additions because no one else is really doing anything right besides Pete and and pretty much Nimmo. So I'm on the I'm in the middle with this one where he hasn't been good enough, but he it that's not like a deal where you look at it and go, oh my God, like the first month of Lindor. It hasn't been like that where it's like, whew, I don't know. This is really, really bad. Um, I think the Mets have much bigger problems than the 12 million James McCann makes every year or whatever it is. So the the issue with the contract for me always was the length, not the money. Like I don't, I, yes, I don't need care. to be three years, not four. Right, like you were saying about Baez, like I don't care about the money per se. I care about the uh, the length. And going four years was much. Um, they did what they had to do, like you said. They were concerned about Real Muto. They did not think they were going to be able to get him, or didn't want to basically backed into a wall against the wall to give him whatever exact whatever he wanted um but there's no better way to say it McCann's a, was a has been a disastrous hitter he's been a terrible hitter um he's had like you said a couple moments you know uh, most players do but when he comes up I don't have any confidence in him at the plate uh, but if the rest of the lineup was performing I'd bury him in the eighth slot and not really worry about it and his defense has been good uh his arm has been great having him and Nito behind the plate the Mets actually like throw out people trying to steal now it's it's absolutely a game changer but yeah offensively he's been kind of the fear which is what a lot of people said when the Mets signed him was yeah he performed in that 2020 season but if you look prior it's really not been a thing he was non-tendered a couple years ago so for me it's just you know like you said, kind of in the middle. He hasn't hit, and frankly, I'm not confident that he's ever going to hit as a Met, but his value is on the defensive side of the ball. And if you could build an offense, kind of like you were referencing with Conforto, if you could build an offense where you just throw McCann in the eight spot or nine spot if there's a DH whatever and just kind of not worry about him, that's kind of what, what he is until, like uh, like Johnny said, when Francisco Alvarez hopefully makes his way up here in the next couple of years and um, James McCann's resorted to being a very expensive backup and Francisco Alvarez hopefully is hitting in the meat of the order, blasting dingers at City Field. Can I just say, and maybe I'm noticing it because we're coming off of a year with the DH and it's probably happening to everyone in the National League. How many times do the Mets get a two out rally going runners on? You know, whether it's first and second, second and third or a player on second and freaking Rich Hill 
comes up to the plate every time on Walker. It is. It, I truly, and I know it's maybe it doesn't matter because the Mets don't have runners in scoring position anyway, but they, I mean, Joe, it's insane how often it is. It, and it's Rich Hill every time. Like they've had it's Rich Hill every time. Yeah, they've had Rich Hill for like a few weeks, and I feel like every single at bat has come up with runners on first and second, second and third, just a guy on third, and two outs every time. And Rich Hill comes up with his one batting glove and just takes swings, takes hilarious like cuts, cho- like he's chopping wood. Yeah, just hilarious cuts, and he's not gonna hit the ball. Just get get the bats out of pitchers' hands. Just I, I cannot wait for that that to be over. The Mets were on like an 0 for 25 with runners in scoring position streak, and Rich Hill had eight of the 25 at bats. That's not confirmed, but I, it probably is real. <laughs> it feels that so, way. <laughs> all right, this one from Clay. Um, he says, if the Mets fall, if the Mets fail to make the playoffs, to what degree are you okay with Rojas returning? Secondly, are we getting to the point with Conforto that giving him a qualifying offer could be a bad idea? Kind of went on the second one already, so we'll, we'll stick with the first one. I'm keeping Rojas no matter what. Um, I like Rojas. I don't think these guys not hitting is on Louis Rojas. I think that he's been in a tough spot with the injuries this year. It's it's crazy how like nobody, I don't know, maybe the fact that the Mets are missing the best pitcher in baseball and Francisco Lindor for the entire second half of the season might have to come into play that they stink all of a sudden. I, I just like, I get it. It's easy to pile on. Oh, this is Metsy. The Mets are imploding. Like all the New York media. And it's always the Yankee fan personalities that do this all the time. I get it. The Mets are on a bad stretch right now. And it's it's not looking any better anytime soon. But call it what it is. This isn't that, you know, DeGrom is pitching at a six ERA in the second half. And Lindor is one for his last 50. And like they're playing without their stars right now, okay? And the other stars that are supposed to pick things up are either not or like Noah Syndergaard are hurt. So, I don't know. I'm just that's where I'm kind of getting to the point where I'm I'm annoyed how this is being covered and maybe because I'm annoyed how the Mets are playing and I'm annoyed how it's being covered at the same time, but you got to call it like you see it. There are problems with the team that plays every night and there's also legitimate injury problems that I don't think anyone could overcome at this point. And that's why I'm not putting this on Rojas. And I know people don't like Rojas for whatever reason. And they'll respond that we, you know, uh, cape for him too much or stand for him too much. I, I Then tell me who you're going to go out there and hire. And don't say Buck Showalter. So for me, like I said a little earlier, everyone should be under evaluation. And if they want to move on from Luis Rojas, I'm not going to flip a lid about it. Uh, no, but, but, but who but are I, you hiring? I don't know. I mean, it's going to be. Go. Yeah. So to me, I lean on your side that I would like to see Rojas return. Um, I think he. All in all, the fact that the Mets are even in contention to me is an impressive feat of managing. Um, they had what's his face? I don't know. Jake Reed or whatever, like pitch the other night. And he was the 60th player that the Mets have used. This season, this season, 60, the major league record is 67 set by the Seattle Mariners. So it's not, it. it's not impossible that the Mets will set the major league record for players used in a season. And sure, the division isn't great. That's one of the reasons they've hung around. That's fine. But the Mets are playing, you know, not good baseball right now, but they're going to finish probably in the neighborhood of 500, maybe a little above 500. And 
that's with using 60 some odd players this season. Like you can't prepare for that kind of depth. Like we talked about the good depth that the Mets acquired last offseason all spring. We're like, oh, this is great. They have, you know, eight starters, this, that. Like they've had to use way more people than I could have ever dreamed that they've had to use. And like you said, Lindor being out, DeGrom being out. To me, uh, you know, and what I think Rojas's contract has a club option for next year. Um, so it's not like you have to commit a three or four year deal to Rojas this offseason. You can just pick up his option and give it another run. So to me, I want to see Rojas back in 2022. At the same time, if Steve Cohen and the front office don't think Rojas should be the guy next year, I'm okay with that too. Like ultimately, I don't think a manager, you know, this is going to be a little hot take, I guess, but managers don't really make that huge of a difference. Um, so much. That's come, my point though. So much comes from above. Um, so much has, so much is like analytical influence. To me, a manager needs to be someone that is respected by the players and a motivational a guy that can keep guys motivated for a very, very long 162 game season. And Rojas, I think, checks both those boxes off. I think he's motivating. Um, I think the players respect him. And he stands up for his players, too, which is something that fans like to see. You know, if he thinks the umpire is making bad calls, I mean, he's chirping at the ump every night. <laughs> I mean, he's getting ejected, which, you know, I don't think is necessarily productive, but he's willing to do it. So to me, I'm good with Rojas, but, you know, ultimately, uh, everyone should be under evaluation. The Mets should be doing whatever they think is in the best interest of the Mets going forward. All right, last question. Episode 55, the uh, the Chris Young show or the Ty Kelly show or the Kelly Johnson show, whatever you want to remember it by the, the Mets fan therapy session show. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully it's a lighter show next week, please. All right. This is from Eric. A major difference between this season and last is the beefed up analytics department. Do you think that could have anything to do with the offensive struggles? Maybe messing with the players classical approach. Maybe their lack of buying in. Uh, well, I know Zach Scott made an interesting comment about guys not buying in on the um, rehab necessarily or, or some of the injury or injury prevention protocols. I, I know it's totally different than this topic, but I'm just going to be honest. If guys aren't listening to certified physicians or trainers, then I think those guys would be hesitant to fully buy in on something as simple or something that can be as simple as analytics. So I, I get it, Eric, with this question. We're looking for answers of why this offense is pathetic right now. And maybe there is a guy or two here that is overthinking. I, the end of the day, and, and I noticed it with, and I love Ronnie for this, the first half, of the first San Francisco game I watched before I went to bed. And that's when you know things are bad because the last time they were on the West Coast this year, I don't care what I'd do tomorrow, I would stay up. This time I was like, no. Rich Hill made it through like two innings. Uh, he struck out with guys on base. Of course, that happened maybe twice. I'm done. But when I was up, Ronnie is starting to call out that they are lit every time, and Gary is kind of piggybacking it because Gary knows by now, they are missing pitches to hit over and over again. I actually... I was talking to one of my buddies. I was like, how is Kevin Gossman like a Cy Young? And I think he's he's kind of fallen out of it because he's been good, but not elite lately. I watched Kevin Gossman pitch, and, and this is when I get to see him. I'm not staying up and watching the Giants. I have no reason to. Just being honest, 
I I watch him pitch and I'm watching him throw average fastballs right down the middle. They're just not hitting them. Breaking balls that stay up. They're just not hitting them. And when you look at Conforto, I know his chase rate, I, I believe, is lower than ever this year. He's not chasing. At the same time, Conforto's letting meatballs go right down the middle and he's not swinging at those all the time either. And then he gets himself into two strike counts and he strikes out. So I get it. We're looking for things. And maybe some guys are looking into numbers too much or guys are over preparing or guys are watching too much tape. But at the end of the day, there are such basic flaws with this team right now of not hitting fastballs down the middle or up early in counts that are 94 miles an hour. Like J.D. Davis, for whatever reason, cannot hit heaters. If it's not 91, it feels like he's not hitting it. So I don't know what the answer is for something is, and it's ridiculous for a podcaster to sit here and call it basic, but the reality is at the major league level, low 90s fastballs down the middle early in counts is as basic as this game gets. I totally agree with that. The reality is the Mets are failing at the most simplistic of levels offensively. Um, I think the, and the analytics staff is beefed up, but it's not, it hasn't taken over the organization yet. I mean, it's just very raw. Yeah, it's still raw. It's still new. They're still getting information. But I think a lot of people just think analytics and have this automatic, like negative attitude towards it, where it's just like analytics say hit home runs and launch angle and just yada, yada. It's just like, that's really not it. Like it's it's just information to help everyone, you know, what they throw in certain counts. And, you know, there's just statistics. It's basically old school baseball, but brought with numbers behind it. So it's the whole theory of how is this guy pitch with two strikes? Well, we have actual statistics to tell you what to look for. And to me, analytics is what drives the Dodgers to success. It drives the Yankees to success. It drives the Astros to success. And so do trash cans. But like the best teams in baseball are analytically not only driven, but just motivated. Like everything is based around analytics and numbers and quantifying things and frankly if you're not receptive to that you ain't lasting much longer in baseball because going off of gut instincts and things like that like there's always going to be a time and place for that but it's falling by the wayside a little bit like there is if there's something you need to know there are numbers to help you understand and you know when I talk to players I talk to different people like That's why I always try to explain. I'm like, analytics is an ugly term. The real term should be information because that's all that's all it is, is just information. And are there people maybe overthinking it? Like you said, sure. I think that's possible. But you're getting information. Do with it what you will. But you got to hit a 92 mile an hour fastball right down the middle. That's just what it comes down to. That's basic baseball. That has nothing to do with analytics or advanced statistics. That's just not hitting the ball. And the Mets aren't hitting the ball. And yeah, we're trying to find an, you know a reason. Sometimes there's not just like a reason. Sometimes it's just a combination of factors. And you know, I appreciate Eric's question because we're trying to we're trying to figure this out. We're pissed off too. <laughs> like I'm sick of seeing the Mets just show up and know they're not going to score runs. Like I'm. 
you know, I, I'll turn on the game maybe for a little bit tonight. Hard Knocks is on, so I have to really debate how much Mets I want to watch. But, like, I don't have the expectation they're going to hit. I don't even know who's pitching for the Giants. And I have the expectation that they're not going to hit. And that's... Well, it doesn't the, matter who pitches. Yeah, that's the yeah, problem, right? Yeah. Yeah. They've had guys that throw junk. They've had guys that throw great. They're just not hitting anybody. And I don't know what we're going to blame. It's just they... They need to figure it out, and I just don't think they're going to this year. I don't either. And, you know, I look at it. The only the Mets are playing a lot of bad teams after this hot stretch. Like, really, after the Dodgers-Giants gauntlet, the Mets... Didn't you say they played 15 games against the Marlins and the Nationals in a row? Yes. So, yeah, and the Nationals, five games in a row at one point. And like you said, it's just back and forth. And then they get the Yankees at City Field. And the Yankees have had a really nice second half and made some really nice acquisitions. But you know the Mets play them tough, especially um, at City Field. I think they'll play them tough. And then you got the Cardinals who have had, I think, a good second half. But And then by then, you're going to know if you have a chance to make some ground when the Phillies come into town. So it's hard to believe that you know guys like Conforto and McNeil and Dom are just going to and McCann are going to turn this thing on what you're kind of hoping for honestly at least this is how I look at it Joe my last hurrah or my last you know sand in the hourglass of hope as it's trickling down is that Lindor and Javi Baez come back at the same time and, and get hot together that's really because I think Nimmo and, and Peter doing enough at the top of the lineup where you need the Nimmo, Lindor, Baez, Pete, or Flip, Baez, and Pete, whatever it is in that one through four, to carry you. And, you know, I'm just looking for reasons to have hope. That's the one that sticks out to me. I'm kind of done with the will he, won't he, McNeil, Conforto, Dom situation. And I don't blame you, and I think that's probably a good perspective to have. And, you know, I'm, I like to think Lindor's going to come back and, you know, hit the crap out of the ball when he comes back. And if if he does, and if you somehow can get like the good Javi for a little bit there, it's obviously a game changer for, for this offense. And like we said at the top of the show, things are going really crappy now. We're pissed off. You're pissed off. But the season isn't over. They have games still left to play. They have games against teams that they should beat up on too. So it's not exactly over. Um it's not. I'm not feeling optimistic, but that's really recency bias. And uh, if keep if listening they, to the pod, <laughs> yeah, keep listening to the pod. I mean, we'll we'll be back next week, and you know, who knows? Maybe they take the next two in San Francisco and split in L.A., and then we come back to easier games. It's just like, oh, okay, well, they're a game and a half out, and they're playing 15 against bad teams. Like the Mets could be in first place by the end of this week. Woohoo! So like the mood can change and that's that's baseball. That's what makes this so fun and I'm glad we're doing this podcast weekly. It's just like you literally ride the roller coaster with us and you know, we ride it with you. So when things are bad, we're going to talk about it and you know, I, I like to think, you know, we're we're pretty straight up with how we feel. I I never wanted this podcast to turn into like a hot take place where it's just we're just going to overly dump on people or whatever like I want to call it like it is, and I think today we we definitely told said it like it was. The Mets are playing bad baseball, and is there time to turn it around? Yes, but we can only say that for so much longer because time don't stop. 
They keep playing every day. They keep losing. So soon enough, it's not going to be there's time to, to turn it around. And so they need to start today. That's absolutely right. I, I mean, at some point you are going to run out of time. That's just the nature of this game. So episode 55, closing thoughts. Uh, I just can, can you just not lose every game of this damn stretch? Like, go ahead, win a few games and let's let's come Keep back. September interesting. Yeah, I, I want like. I'm ready. I'm ready for football, but I want to be following the Mets deep into September. Like I want, I, I would like to see them in the playoffs. And if they get their asses kicked in the NLDS, so, so be, be it. it. That's the way it is. But like, I want to see playoff baseball, and that, and I still think it's possible. Um, I know the FanGraph odds have dropped to like seven percent chance because it's not an easy schedule for the Mets down the stretch. But man, I mean, what's the point in being a fan if you don't? believe when they're when they're close enough like you know if the season was over last month and they sold that's a different conversation but they bought something did they buy enough probably not i mean they could have added you know more pieces than just bias but yeah i mean it's gotta believe try to believe you know i'm not gonna say what pete said is smile because that <laughs> that sure as hell ain't easy but yeah they're gonna be they're gonna be playing a bunch of baseball for the next month and a half and then we'll be spending months talking about man can't wait to watch baseball again so do your best to take it as what it is and realize that they're going to win games they're going to lose games and you know hopefully they surprise us in the next six weeks perfectly said my friend perfectly said and hopefully the uh the rest of this west coast trip looks a lot different for you know when we're back on next week and hopefully they give us something to make a youtube video about my goodness it's like there's just nothing really popping off, especially when they play at 10 o'clock each night. Uh, that makes it a little difficult as well. But losing seven to five, four nothing, 14 to four makes it a little difficult. So stick with us, everyone. Keep sending those questions. Keep leaving those reviews. Uh, keep, you know, sending us those tweets. That's how we collect everything for the most part anyway. And we'll catch you next week. Gearheads know that some projects need so many parts, it feels like you need a whole storage unit just to store them. That's what eBay Motors' 122 million parts are for. Think of it as your virtual parts garage. They've always got the right fitment at the right prices. Use the eBay Motors app or visit ebaymotors.com. Let's ride.